On today's Truth Factor discussion, we're going to continue with Luke chapter 22. In our previous study of that chapter, we saw how some were preparing to be able to uh, arrest Christ, figure out a way that they could kill him. And we also looked at Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. Here in just a moment, we'll continue with our studies in that particular chapter. And if you've been watching the, the pre-show in our first attempt, you, you got to hear all the good stuff of how you can contact us. I'll throw that up, of course, as we go through um, the, the study here. But let's go ahead and jump right into it. And let's see, Paul, I'm going to have you, if you would, to start with verse 24 of Luke chapter 23. And let's go ahead and read down here through this first section, which will be about verse 30 there. Okay, I'll be happy to do that. Uh, so I'll be reading in Luke uh, 22, beginning at verse 24, and I'm reading out of the New King James Version, which I believe is what uh, John has on the screen there. So if right. you read along with me, the scripture says, Now there was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. All right. Thank you, Paul. I tell you what, Brian, I'm going to go ahead and bring up a verse here real quick, and we will make this the source of this first section's uh, question for the chat room. Take note, if you would, of Jesus' statement in verse 27. What do you think is his primary point for his disciples? So what is Jesus' message to his disciples in verse 27? And to be clear, that is uh, our chat room comment, correct? That is correct, yep. All right, I will, we will have that down in our chat room. What is the point of Jesus' comment in verse 27? Exactly. Yeah. All right. So let me bring that back up here. Now let's go ahead. And as we were looking at this earlier, um, Tom, I'm going to start with you in verse 24 there. Luke observes that there was a dispute among the apostles as to uh, which should be considered the greatest. Um, should this surprise us? Or do you think this is probably uh, what to be expected? Uh, it should not surprise us at all. This is by no means the first time that they have had this argument. And, and, and considering how we're getting closer and closer to the time of the betrayal, I mean, I mean, we're the night before right now, and, and uh, they still don't get the purpose of the kingdom. They're still arguing, or as we would use the expression, jockeying for position, you know, for, for prominent positions in the kingdom and so on. And, and uh, Jesus is trying to, to cut that off. Um, bear in mind just real quickly that uh, this is very likely the occasion 
that John was referring to in John chapter 13, about the first 15 verses there, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And, and, and he's, he's, he's probably try, trying to drive the point home to them that you, we've got to, we're here to serve. It's, it's not about us. It's, and so that's what you have happening here. All righty. I appreciate that, Tom. So when, when you consider then, starting there in verse 25, um, Jesus' statement regarding the, let's say, you know, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, um, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. So not so among you, all right? So on the contrary, he who's greatest among you, let him be as a younger. So Peter wasn't the head apostle. Is that what you're saying, Tom? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Peter was not a head apostle by, by any means. And, and you know, if, if I'm not correct, do we ever read about Peter being one who is trying to push himself to a higher position? I mean, may, may, maybe he was doing, you know, it, it's, it's James and John uh, a, that, yeah. that we have recorded as doing it. You know, obviously Peter is, is a person who rises in prominence and so on, but he's, he's no better than any of the other apostles. And, of course, he, if he doesn't know that now, he figures it out very, very quickly. Yeah. Well, Brian, what about verse, um, well, let's see, I'm going to have the, have the chat room to answer verse 27 here in just a moment. Um, well, let's, let's go ahead and talk about verse 27 for just a second. I, oftentimes I think about over in Luke where he makes a statement, I think it's Luke chapter 10, verse 17 or 17, verse 10, where he makes the point that after we do all that we've been commanded to do, we still, are declare, we still declare ourselves unprofitable servants. But in this case in point, in Jesus and his with his disciples there, what is he attempting to illustrate with verse 27 there about for he who is, great, who is greater, the one who sits at the table or one who serves? Um, and then he makes an observation regarding what he's doing. That's a, that's a really uh, it's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I heard a preacher just in the last week make a statement about the idea that as they're debating this, if you read uh, John's account in John 12, this is also the time where Jesus, you know, would, would soon after disrobe and start washing their feet. So it's a really pretty dramatic series of events that are going on here that they're trying to illustrate about greatness. Obviously, Jesus is the greatest. But at the same time, he's also the greatest servant ever. Um, you know, all the, again, I'm kind of alluding to, it was actually Tom's sermon that I heard, and Tom was talking about Jesus's greatness in Philippians 2, and how it was there that Jesus's greatness was by, uh, you know, putting on, you know, putting on humanity and uh, becoming of no account and taking a death of, of the lowest type. And that was his greatness. And when you go back to I Isaiah 53 and the prophet there talking about the greatness of Christ, the Bible says that the greatness of Christ was in this utterly uh, contemptible and humiliating action of, of being debased in the way he was. And that was actually the source of, of his elevation. That's why God elevated him to the degree he did. So we might consider that for us, our, uh, our glory our glory for God, which is our eternal glory, is only going to be found in our willingness to serve and to to be debased in, in a sense for others. And by debased, I mean uh, to to take on a lowly, humble, 
percentage in point. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, I think I think in our culture, though, there are times if we're not careful, we can become like the Pharisees and self elevate ourselves before others because, well, you know, we've been saved and everybody else is horribly lost in sin, so we are so much better than them. Um, and of course, I know in Jesus' application, it's about us working together. But in the end, we are simply servants, and we serve as He served. Isn't that right, Paul? I think so. Uh, uh, thinking about that, you know, uh, the things that have been brought in, the setting the scene of what's probably happened here, um, it helps them to learn this very valuable lesson uh, that uh, what they ask for is not not right for them to ask for that. Uh, and in fact, I think there's another passage. And I'm trying to remember uh, where Jesus talks about this, and they don't really know what they're asking for. Uh, To be elevated to a great position in the kingdom uh, is going to mean great persecution and great heartache in their lives. That's true. That's true. Well, notice there in verses 28 through 29, Paul, let me get rid of that for a second. Um, He makes a statement here, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. Um, trials, sufferings, the thing, you know, they, they have not left. You know, John chapter 6 talks about many who found his teachings difficult and they left. You know, these have stuck with them through the end. So what is he bestowing upon them then in verses 29 and 30? Uh, well, they're, they're going to be the ones who are going to be preaching the gospel. Uh, they are going to be the ones who are going to be uh, instrumental in carrying out the work once Jesus is gone. And it seems to be an indication of that. Also, uh, you know, Jesus in his prayer that we studied, or, or maybe uh, maybe it's in John, as we look at those things, that we would uh, see that Jesus, when he prays about them, he says that he's not lost lost them. Uh, you know, they, they have stayed true to him. They've stayed faithful. And they have kept on doing uh, his work. They have not abandoned him, and he's not abandoned them. And uh, this kind of preservation has, has taken place. And they're going to be the ones who are going to carry that work forth. Okay. Um, you have any other thoughts on this, Tom? Uh, well, well, other than to make the observation is Jesus acknowledges the sacrifices that they're making, and 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 he notes that um, that your work is not going to go unnoticed. But basically, don't make it about yourself. You know, as a matter of fact, you deal with the verse thirty there. Uh, uh, you know, where he talks about uh, 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 you're going to eat at my table in, in my kingdom, and you're going to sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, which incidentally, I believe that the point of that last phrase there is, is their teaching it, it, the truth about the bringing to a conclusion the, the law of Moses and so on. Uh, uh, it, that's what's going to cause those who reject Jesus to be condemned. Uh, what the what the apostles bring in of the teachings of Jesus. So. Okay, all right. And uh, Brian, any initial thoughts before we jump to the chat room? I don't. I don't have anything else to add. Great comments. Okay. Let's see. Let's go ahead and take a minute. I just. I'm sorry. My chat room wasn't um, what communicates my iPad wasn't working properly. I discovered I didn't turn it on. It's turned on now. And a bunch of comments jumped in real quick. So, um, let me see. All right, let's start. We're going to start with Stephen James's comment, and let me send it over there. 
Stephen James says that it must have been a bit infuriating to Christ that he's about to be sacrificed and the disciples are arguing about such trivial pursuits among themselves. Now, Stephen, it might be that at this point in time that they, they still are picturing a physical kingdom being established and trying to figure out who's going to be on his right hand, who's, you know, who's, who should be able to be, to be top, well, not top dog, but, you know, the position of Joseph and everything next to, next to the, the, the king there. And it could be that that's what they were thinking. And, and I agree with you. I figure it was pretty infuriating, you know, to, for them still not to understand what's about to happen. Um, and, and you're right. That's truly trivial, truly. And let's see, let's jump over now to Gregory. Gregory says, service is how the kingdom works. This is opposite how we are as carnal beings think. We as carnal beings look to be served. We are to attract through service. And I, I think that's a very valid point. Um, I know that there are some people who, very, who are very quick to demand service. Do this for me, do that for me, grab this for me, grab that for me. Um, and then you've got those who are just, they're, they're more than happy to oblige, you know, especially if they're trying to make someone happy. But to swap the two of them <laughs> is kind of a challenge. To get the, the, the leader to, to be a servant and the servant to be a leader makes them very uncomfortable. And um, that's a very, very good point. And Brian agrees with what Stephen said uh, just a moment ago. He said, good point, Stephen. The more I think on that, the more I think frustrating may not be sufficient to describe his feelings. Uh, fear infuriating would be it. And um, Stephen, of course, agrees with that. Uh, right, Brian, by this time, Christ may have become more accustomed to this sort of petty thing. Very valid point. Very valid point. All right, gentlemen, let's see. Let's go ahead and prepare then for the next section. And Tom, if you would, I want to have you to read beginning in verse 31. And let's just simply go down to verse 33, we'll, or 34, that is. We'll take a real simple segment here. Okay, we read her. Okay. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. All right, Tom, do you notice anything odd about Luke's record here of this particular event? Uh, not really, other than the, what, uh, like using his name twice or something? But. No. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, well, what, what I mean by that, there is, there is no context leading up to this particular discussion. Unless, unless we were to think that Simon was the one earlier saying that he would be the greatest. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's like this just seems to be an out-of-the-blue conversation that Jesus, you know, turns to Peter and says to him. Yeah. That's what right. I mean by, by different. Okay, yeah. And, and, and like I said, you know, I was making the point, while we, don't, while we don't read about Peter being one of the ones arguing, 
clearly Peter was an outspoken individual, you know. Yes. And and and, and he would be what you would well what what's that term we use the alpha male or the alpha type or something like that, you know. He has that type of a personality, and uh, uh, he has some confidence, uh, maybe too much, and so the Lord is warning him, you know, that this is going to happen to you. And, and and incidentally, in verse 33, when Peter replies to Jesus, I have no reason to doubt that Peter genuinely means what he's saying on this occasion. There's there's no hypocrisy in that. Uh, uh, but the Lord knows better. Yeah. You know, uh, John, I don't know what the, um, how quickly, you know, these events all happened. Uh, Luke mentions early on that he's trying to give an order, orderly account. He's trying to set in, these things in order, uh, and uh, I, I, I get that. I don't know how quickly the the previous thing happened to this, sure. but certainly Jesus is is sensing by this time he doesn't have a long time uh, to to do this and, and to give these final instructions that he needs to give, and sometimes it may be that when we sense that urgency that that here uh even if a topic's not already in play it's important just to introduce it and and to, to nail it you know uh, and here uh lord you know he has to have this conversation with simon simon there's something i really have to talk to you about we don't have long and, and here it is so that's true well brian i want let me ask you this question could we perceive and and i like to hear the chat room's thought on this as well could we perceive uh, that in verse 32, and in verse 32, that maybe there's a prayer that went unanswered? Think about that. Um, says, but I have prayed for you, talking to Jesus about Peter, I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned so to me, strengthen your brethren. So in other words, your point is that, that Peter, in a sense, did fail. Um, you know, you know, uh, perhaps, John, part of the point is, you know, this is actually just verse 31 is just a very interesting conversation. Yeah. Uh, the only time we can kind of think of another time where Satan came to God and asked for somebody is the book of Job, chapter 1. And it's very, very possible that what we're seeing here is a parallel, perhaps indicating to us even to this day, and, and I'll, I'll frankly say I kind of think this is the case, that Satan presents the case to, to God to say this servant is, might not be faithful if this is the circumstance and and in some you know he is the accuser of the brethren so he he makes the accusation that peter would fail and uh i think i think verse 31 itself is a very uh really profound theological uh, uh subtext that's going on there but I, as to as to more to your point there did did what jesus asked fail you know that's kind of a tough one john because in some ways i mean peter does stumble but on the other hand, Peter overcomes this. This makes him uh, more of a person. And so it, to that degree, I, I, I kind of question the idea about how successful prayer is whenever we're really praying for something that comes down to human uh, human intention. In other words, you know, uh, praying that somebody accepts the gospel. I'm not sure, you know, 1 John chapter 5 speaks about the idea that there's some things we don't pray for, and that might kind of fall into that category of, uh, we really aren't praying for things where it's it's human it's human will it's free will that that is the that is the the key characteristic. So perhaps what Jesus's prayer could be more referring to is that he keeps the faith that after he stumbles he remains faithful. And I would suggest that we certainly see that 
all the way up to Second Peter chapter 1, when Peter is talking about his death, and Peter says that this was the thing that Jesus had spoken to him of, and, and that's referencing John chapter 21. And John chapter 21 seems to be a direct, a direct follow-up to this event, because uh, just as Jesus says that, you know, he says here, uh, verse 34, you'll deny me three times, Jesus asks Peter in John chapter 21 three times, do you love me? And then he goes on to say, you're going to die, you know, in service to me. And, and that at the end of Peter's life, Peter's still mindful of that, that, that in some ways, perhaps this whole event has strengthened his faith, even though it was a stumble. Okay. That's a very good point. It was a long answer, John. Sorry. No, but it, I like it, though. It, it took up some time, and I got to think about other stuff, and... <laughs> No, that might be all it did is take up some time. <laughs> no, but I, I, I think I think it's a very important point. And then we've got some good comments in the chat room. We're going to bring in here. What you made what you made me think about is one. I guess it hadn't clicked the fact that Satan had asked to be able to sift Peter. Okay, and the Lord is going to allow that to happen effectively, and it will appear that Peter failed. But when everything is said and done, he comes out of it stronger. And this was the point that you were making. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah I, and, maybe that is, and maybe in that way, Jesus' prayer is answered. Maybe it yeah. is uh, yeah. what he's praying for. And I also love your comment about prayer. Um, there are many times that we, we pray, the Lord, if it be your will, we pray that they will come to an understanding of the truth. Well, that is his will, but they may never come yeah. to an understanding of the truth. It's their choice. Um, I did hear someone pray one time, Lord, I pray something will happen to get them to consider things differently. And well, something did happen <laughs> pretty major and it did ended up changing their life around. I'm not saying the Lord caused it. Of course, it was their own actions that brought it about, but it taught me to be careful not to pray that again. Um, but anyway, um, let's look at the chat room here real quick. Good thoughts there. We're going to start with, um, Stephen James's comment. He says, if you think about it, Satan really did sift the disciples. They all ended up scattering or denying Jesus after his rest, arrest. Uh, one of them even fled without his outer garments. If you think, I think it was John or Mark, you know, that fled without his outer garments there. Um, and let's see, going on to the next one. Gregor, he says, from Peter's point of view, how would he have felt to Jesus? I'm sorry. How would he have felt to Jesus if he heard Jesus say, when you have returned to me again, strengthen the brethren? Peter would have been struck by the thought he would leave. But we know the truth, and Peter did return. Um, so it's the same thing. You know, he's telling me, you will, you will leave me. You will deny me. You know, and you wonder what Peter thought about that. And Peter, Peter must have just thought it was unbelievable. You know, I'll never leave. You know, and I think maybe that's perhaps that's what Gregor's point is that you know, yeah. from Peter's perspective, I'll I'll never leave. You know, that yeah. that's ridiculous. And uh, that's right. And point it says you're gonna you're gonna leave me before before a day's gone. A day won't even pass until you'll left. That's a good point. Good point. Um, Stephen agreed with what you had said earlier. He says exactly, Brian. They would stumble, but they would eventually recover from their weaknesses. And the Lord knew that. The Lord knew. I do. I believe that they would be strengthened by all this. Michael Davis says, obviously Peter did fail for a time. Yet think of his convincing sermon on Pentecost. Satan yet sifted him again, Galatians 2, uh, when he was uh, moved to play the part of a hypocrite. 
Um, same will happen with us. Our faith must be in God, not in ourselves. And uh, mistakes are a growing opportunity if we are willing to learn from them. Okay, any other thoughts or comments on this particular section here? All right, let's go ahead and bring up for us the next section there. And let's see, who read last? I did. Tom did. Brian, I think it's your turn to, to read, isn't it? Yes, it is. I really have to quit hitting my mic stand. <laughs> All right, start there, if you would, in verse 35, and everybody at home is looking at me scroll down here. Another short section. Let's go ahead and read down through verse 38, if you would. All right, I'll be reading Luke 22, 35 through 8, 38 in the New King James Version. And he said to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said, Nothing. Then he said to them, But now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. So they said to him, look, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. All righty, Brian, I appreciate that. Brian, let me ask you a question now while we're looking at this short little section here. What was he referring to when he said, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, etc.? You know, it's almost certain he'd be referring to the limited commission that uh, we saw him send out the 70 uh, previously on, where they were limited to their commission to only Israel. Okay. And that's Luke 9 and 10, as far as Luke's record of that. Exactly right. Correct. And so his question for them is, what did you lack? And they said nothing. So what is the difference now, beginning with verse 36, Brian? Uh, well, now uh, now it seems that it, from here moving on, the provisions, they'll need to, need to have some provision for themselves. They'll need to have some preparation ahead of time. Uh, and, and, uh, and assumably, John, what we're talking about here is going to be what we call the Great Commission, which it's interesting in Matthew and Mark at the end of those books, that Great Commission is issued. Luke's gospel issues it as well, but it's but it's more tying itself to the gospel or to the book of Acts. So uh, that's kind of an interesting point. Okay. All right. Um, and look at verse 37. Paul, let me throw this to you real quick. He says, For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Where the things concerning me have an end. What's he talking about there? Well, it seems to be the the arrest, the persecution, uh, and certainly the crucifixion, being crucified among common criminals in a place where common criminals were executed. Uh, he was numbered with the transgressors, uh, and uh, that these things are are reaching a swift conclusion. Uh, earlier, we noticed a number of times Jesus would say, uh, it's not time yet, it's not time yet. And then we've noticed more recently, the time is nigh, the time is drawing near. Uh, I think Jesus is saying uh, the time is urgent uh, for these things to be accomplished. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, Tom, why two swords? Uh, well, well, basically, you know, uh, 
you've got to change the situation. Jesus is about to leave them. They're going to be on their own. So Jesus is kind of making the point that uh, not everything's going to be provided. You know, you know the first time when that question is asked in verse 35, if you remember in chapters 9 and 10 when we were going through that, uh, I, uh, the point was made that I suspect they were fairly successful. And the point was, is God was building up their faith, proving that you're going to be taken care of. Uh, but understand, this isn't about handouts. You know, so, yeah. so w w when you have the idea of the two swords and so on, you, you need to make sure that you have enough, or, or, or the idea is you, you, you have enough to defend yourself. Now, the, and I see the point you're saying in verse 38 here, which says, you know, here, we, here are two swords. I kind of wonder whether or not when Jesus says it is enough there, is he basic is he saying that in a in in a calm way from the standpoint, okay, you have what you need? Or is he kind of still a little bit frustrated that they really don't get what's going on? Yeah. In, in other words, uh, you know, it's enough. Kind kind of a challenge. Well, what, what I think is interesting about this, Tom, is that they, you don't see them saying, hey, look, we have a knapsack. Hey, look, yeah. we've got some money. You know, it says, yeah, I told you not to take a sword. Now this time you can take a sword. Hey, we got two of them. Yeah. And he said, that's enough. I mean, it's, we, we don't need to look at this, and, and you're not saying this at all, obviously. Yeah. This isn't about what we would deem self-defense against another man. Yeah. You see what happened when Peter, Peter whacked off the ear of that fella. But probably self-defense from animals you know, things like that, that they would have been protected from the first time around. Right, yeah. But that's speculation. But, you know, it, it was just something that would be helpful to have. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it's like like most of, most of you all, I just forget about it, but most of you carry a pocket knife. Uh, I think we've had that discussion before, and some some do even more than that. Uh, you know, and, and uh, it, 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 it's, it's a tool. It's a tool. It's a tool yeah. that's going to help you, and, and that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. Uh, you know, they were going to be on dangerous roads. And, and you know, to be ready to defend themselves, uh, there, was nothing, uh, there was nothing wrong with that. You know, there's a difference between having a weapon for defensive purposes and, and having a weapon for offensive purposes. And, of course, we could enter into a great debate on that, but I don't think that's what we want to do today. Yeah, but well, would you speaking... want to take the defensive or the offensive? Go ahead, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I may be in the minority here. Uh, I, I think that he's by saying it, it is enough. He's saying that his disciples are not some kind of uh, militia or an army uh, that that they're going out to uh, engage in some kind of uh, earthly warfare. Yeah. But with, in a time where there were robbers and there were perils, uh, that they. Uh, had a right and that some of the men among them would be charged with the responsibility of protecting the group uh, of uh, being men and, and standing up and, and doing uh, what they needed to do to protect those uh, among them uh, if, if that situation should arise, uh, not to uh, keep themselves from being persecuted for righteousness sake, uh, but for, you know, the common, common criminal uh, who would try to uh, rob them, and that their work was so much more important that they they couldn't allow that to happen. And I think when he says it's enough, I think he's saying, you know, you don't all need to go sell your 
cloak and buy a sword uh, that, that you've got a couple among you you're going to be staying together for now uh, and you can defend yourself I was trying to look up real quickly and, and I didn't get it done before the turn came to me but to see how the word sword is used in other New Testament passages uh, is it used in a, a sense of just a, a garden tool as some have said about this passage or something like that or is it is it always used in the sense of um, a weapon hmm. that's a good question don't know don't know maybe our chat room does speaking of chat room paul <laughs> let me go ahead and bring on our first yeah why don't you bring in stephen james's comment if you don't mind i'll be happy to stephen says when they were sent out previously, they had all they needed and were successful. Now things will become harsh and difficult even to stay alive. That's a good I, point. I think that that, that gets the uh, heart of what's being talked about here. Stephen also says, as usual, the disciples completely misunderstood Christ's words here. And... Uh, I'm not sure. I think that the first statement that Stephen made, that he wanted them to be prepared to go out and, and do the things that need to be done in more difficult and perilous times, uh, whether they got that exactly or not, I'm not sure. Maybe an interesting point is they're going to take one of those swords in just a second and strike strike at the people trying to arrest them, and Jesus is going to rebuke them for doing that. So maybe there is some sense where they may have a, at least some misunderstanding of what the swords are about. Yeah. And, and Stephen makes a comment that um, goes along with kind of what Tom was saying a while ago, as in Christ is saying, okay, whatever. Obviously, two swords would not protect them from much. It would not protect them from an army. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, it might protect them from, like, the man uh, who was attacked on the road yeah. and was left for dead. Uh, you know, it, had a so. rope, cut a vine scare away an animal, you know. I mean, because because the Lord's still going to be with them. Paul later will be bit by a viper and survive. You know, and, and, and right at the end of Mark chapter 16, they could drink a poison, be bitten by a serpent, and the Lord would protect them. So there would be some level of protection. And Jesus even tells them after he leaves, whatever you ask in my name, my Father will give you. You know, so there, there would be a sense of divine oversight as they went about but it is different than the first time around. They would have to make preparations, carry the stuff, the provisions, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, and so forth. I will say that in, in the overarching context of what we're looking at in this chapter and the next chapter, uh, the idea of killing in self-defense is something that would make a great study for some time, but we're probably going to detract from... Uh, where Jesus is really pushing toward. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I'm not sure we'd all agree exactly on that. And I'm not sure all of our listeners would agree, but that was what would make it a very interesting discussion. It's one of those things you yeah. really don't know until you're faced with that exact precise moment, what you'll do. Right. Yeah, yeah and John, uh, just real quickly for what it's worth, uh, they're not all 12 going to be together that much longer most of the yeah. time. Most of the time, they're going to be sent out in either individually or in just one or two of them because, you know, they went all over the world taking the gospel with them. So most of them. Yeah, and they'll lose James not long after it all begins. Yeah. 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 
Okay. Um, one last comment in the chat room before we, oh, two last comments before we continue. Stephen says, danger, now this is from 2 Corinthians 2.11, as you see on the screen there, 2 Corinthians 11. Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. Paul's talking about the various things they've had to face in their work for the Lord. And then Michael Davis says, would this have been one of the swords Peter used to cut off Malchus's ear? If so, then obviously they intended to use them defensively. And then I'm like Michael, uh, Michael there. I think that it would have been one of these two swords that Peter may have used. He may have used both of them and then some sort of ninja thing. I don't know. Um, but it definitely was not what the Lord had intended there. Okay, let's go ahead and jump to the next section. Paul, if you would. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I, I love your ninja style. That's, uh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's not, I'm not going to capture this video. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's quickly move on from there. Um, Very. Um, let's see. All right, Paul. 39. Yeah, 39. Now let's read down through verse 46, please. Be happy to do that. And uh, in Luke 22, beginning at verse 39, the scripture says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like down to the ground. Then he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples. He found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. All right. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. All right. Now, the other gospel accounts give a, you'll record a little bit more detailed information to this, of course, and what we're focusing here. Um, we're approaching the end. This would have been the equivalent, Paul, I think, after supper, when they were all done. Um, they go out to the garden, and Jesus, knowing everything that is about to happen, what is his, his great admonition to them in verse 40? Well, when we compare the other uh, accounts of this, we know that Jesus took Peter, James, and John a little bit further with him. Uh, and uh, the, the instruction seems to be to them all, but he seemed to have a special closeness with Peter, James, and John. And his concern is, is that some devastating things are going to happen uh, in their lives to see what's going to happen to Jesus. He's prepared to face that even though he would prefer not to he's prepared to face that uh, He's prepared to do whatever the father's will is He is concerned about what impact that is going to have on those disciples And he says you need to be awake and praying for strength praying for uh, guidance you need to be praying that that the temptation uh, to just quit or to lose your faith or to uh, abandon the cause uh, does not overwhelm you, but you need to pray for strength. And here, Jesus is saying, certainly there's nothing wrong with sleep, but sleep another time. Keep yourself awake. Pray about this. 
and he says that it's more important to pray than to sleep. You know, Paul, you think about this, and I, I, I love what you said there. But if Jesus was going through this much agony, and he was, I mean, we clearly see his humanity here. Just imagine what his apostles would go through shortly. I think he sees the, the difference there. You know, he, he knows how weight the, how heavy of a burden he's about to bear. And although they're not going to die, they're going to bear his cross with him in a manner of speaking, bear their cross with him. You can see the great concern here. You know, and when Jesus, seen, yeah. when Jesus prays for his disciples, you know, how does he begin John 14? Let not your heart be troubled. Yeah. Uh, he, he knows that, that this is going to be troubling. It's, it's going to, it's going to shake them. Yeah. And, and he wants, and, and he is, while he's concerned about the cup that he will have to drink, the cup of suffering, and he prays to let it pass. If it could be somehow within the father's will that he didn't have to do this to let that be. But then, you know, he's wanting the disciples to realize that not only is this physical suffering going to be difficult for him, but, but the difficulty that he's going to have to face as their leader, as their Lord, as, as Peter's recognized him as the Christ, uh, that this, this could really shake them. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Brian, do you have any thoughts about verse 42? Uh, there's a lot of been, been a lot of speculation on it, of course, through the years. Um, but Jesus' request here of his father. Yeah, well, wow, you really asked me a tough one, John. Uh, that, in fact, is probably one of the hardest questions about the gospel. Um, so, so sometimes, John, when I'm stuck with a hard question like this, I'll go ahead and say, what is it not saying? Jesus is the author of the plan of salvation. So it's not as though this is something Jesus did not expect, and this is not something that Jesus didn't want to do, that his desire was to be obedient to the will of the Father. So if we take that out of the equation, in other words, that it's not possible Jesus is, is describing the fact he doesn't truly desire the outcome of this, then maybe what we're seeing here is, is that Jesus, who is also a man in this moment, who is, who is, as far as we can understand at least, while completely being God, also, also entirely a man too, is experiencing this great deal of anguish and struggle over this moment. You know, uh, maybe, John, one way I might think of this, too, is that if Jesus does have the mind of God, he understands entirely what he is facing, what's about to happen. In other words, the next day, he is, is mindful to a degree that we're not possible to be mindful of. The suffering, the humiliation, the devastation that the cross is going to bring. And so in some ways, perhaps that's what we're experiencing in this moment. This horrible feeling towards these things. And at the same time, this, uh, this human uh, terror of facing it. And maybe the reason that we're hearing about this, maybe the reason that this is something that the gospel writers want us to know about, is they want us to understand that while Jesus wanted the outcome of the cross, that is to put away the, uh, to be the propitiation for sin, Jesus didn't desire to experience it. That he wanted the result, but he didn't want to have, to, he, he didn't desire to go through it. He was willing to go through it. Right. Yeah, and the result was more important than the suffering. Right. Yeah, yeah the, um, 
I've, I've heard different preachers try to explain Jesus' statement in different ways, um, such as to um, not make it sound like he's saying, Father, don't make me have to die on the cross. Um, but I don't think that's the case. I, Brian, I agree. I, he knew what he was about to face. He knew, you know, being, think about it, being part of those who, uh, of, of God who created the heavens and the earth, he knew physically what he was going to have to go through. He, he faced all that head on. And it's not a prayer that says, I really don't want to do this. Don't make me have to do it. It was just saying, if it be your will, let this cut pass, but not my will, but your will. And, and he knew, of course, what, what would have to be done there. Um, let's see real quick. We've got a, a couple comments in the chat room I want to bring out. Um, Tom, who did he, who did God, who did the father send to strengthen Jesus? Uh, he, well, it, it says here that an angel appeared to him and, uh, 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 a lot of interesting things associated with that. But, but basically the message for us is that God understands. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can take comfort in the multitude of statements that promise that he understands and, and, uh, you know, the making a way of escape, uh, Various various comments like that. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, we can take consolation in those types of things that God knows, and He knows how to help us. He knows how to deliver us, and those types of things. So here He is giving Jesus strength, uh, but because of what has happened or with mankind, He's not willing to not have Him go through the sacrifice. Um, and one more, one more thought before we um, open it up to the chat room here. Verse 44, and being in agony, it says he prayed more earnestly than his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Um, I mentioned this only because Stephen has a comment in the chat room we'll bring in here in just a moment. And there, there was uh, some physician years ago that, that put together a list of what Jesus would have gone through physically hanging, well, he, leading up to the point of hanging on the cross. And um, I, I still struggle sometimes with whether or not verse 44 is saying that he actually sweated blood, which is, as, as we'll read here in a second, is a possibility, or if the sweat was so profuse that the sweat rolled off him as if he was bleeding. Um, I think either way would work, but let's look at the chat room here and then we can talk a little bit more about that. And then we will have to end our study today and then resume it. I was trying not to do it, but there's just no way. There's too much good discussion that needs to be had there over this chapter. We'll try to continue it here in two weeks. But um, let's see, My, Michael Davis decided to drop in a couple of good comments about uh, the, the, the hacking of um, Malchus's ear. Um, and two swords not making an army. I do like this one. I'll throw it up, and then we'll get Stephen's comment. Michael said, either Peter was really good with a sword or real bad, only a right ear removed, and Malchus never did say thank you for the healing. That's an interesting comment there. Um, but Stephen says, I looked into this a bit. Blood sweat is called hermetitrosis, or hermetidrosis, a rare condition when someone sweats blood. As Christ did this, the disciples slept without praying when they would need prayer the most. Um, it is an interesting turn of events, Paul. When they were on the boat with Christ, he was sleeping and they weren't sleeping. Now that he's in the garden, he's not sleeping and they are 
places. Um, any thoughts or comments about that or about the the, the well, yeah, I, the, the hematidrosis, uh, that's what I've heard this commonly explained as. And I'm not sure uh, when, when I read this, I think maybe you, you were kind of alluding to this, whether he's saying that it was actually that uh, phenomenon or whether it's saying that it, his sweat was like great drops of blood, like blood would drip off, you know, heavy, uh, that it, his, his, he was sweating like that. Uh, I, and I'm not not sure. I uh, wouldn't argue with someone who who would uh, be convicted of that uh, either way. Um, the word word like is an interesting interesting uh, word in regard to that. But uh, but yeah, here other times Jesus seems unconcerned, and and I guess maybe this is this is careful. I don't get in trouble. Uh, this I, I believe that, that it's safe to say this is the most important event that, that Jesus is going to do, and that is going to the cross. And his arrest, his trials, his betrayal, um, his denial uh, by Peter, betrayal by Judas, you know, all, all of that, and, and then ultimately to be that sacrifice, uh, it's the greatest thing that Jesus has to do and the most intense uh, thing. Other times he's walked through the crowd. He he has not experienced their uh, wrath, uh, but here you know it's going to it's going to happen. Yeah, very. As 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 Gregory says in the comments, uh, sweat. In either case, his um, his stress is profound. Well, yeah. we do read about in scripture, and I I, I would have a hard time with. There was a debate a long time ago, John, when you and I were younger. I guess Tom, I guess we were all younger, <laughs> uh, but it's been quite a few years ago about whether Jesus was a man, just a man. You know, uh, I, I don't really think I could say that. Uh, he's some something obviously much more than that. He's divine and human, and and how that all works is true with it, with the working of God, and beyond my ability to really know. But there is, to some extent, this human side like when we read in the book of hebrews we have a high priest we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses in other words he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in all points yeah. like as we are yet without sin so in some way the impending execution uh is weighing on him as uh the the flesh part of him yeah that was in the late 90s and now they moved on to other issues to debate about through the years, um, the, the the way there are certain certain of these these questions that, after a while, I finally settle into a point that I'm happy with, the, for my own self satisfaction and understanding, and where I reach with this is that Jesus was was a man in physical flesh, the difference was his spirit was deity, my spirit is not deity, um, he he had the ability to control the weather, he had the ability to stop the mouths, he could restore, I mean, he, he had the ability to control all of creation if he chose to. Even knew the heart of men. Right. Even yes. knew the hearts of men, but he was still in this body that had to eat, that had to rest, had to be cleansed, um, and felt pain and suffering. And John, I'd just like to say that if we have some some listeners that uh, would like to reopen that debate from the 1990s and and really get into that, I think that'd be a great thing. And if you just send an email to Tom 
at truthfactor.com. <laughs> that, that'll work out real fine. <laughs> yeah, and my and my forwarding button works real well, Paul. <laughs> Because and, and expect it in your mailbox as well, uh, and, and and you and you know dealing with that, you know John, uh, the point that you were making, I, I I totally agree with that, and you know I I've made observation that there's there's workings behind the scenes spiritually and divinely that we do not totally grasp. I mean, when you get into the debate of of uh, of exactly what Jesus took on on the cross, it's the same thing. You know, uh, I, I mean, bottom line, our sins are forgiven because he died. You know, and, and it's the same. You, you can argue how much humanity and how much deity was there all day long, but it doesn't change the fact that he died for our sins, and, uh, uh, and therein is our hope. So. That, Tom, you reminded me, that, that is another way I think people uh, view his prayer. If it be your will, let, not, you know, let yeah. this cut pass for me. Um, some people view that he, when he, at the point of death on the cross, that God turned his back and literally forsook yeah. Jesus and Jesus was alone. Um, I don't see the scriptures teaching that, but that, that's another way that people do. And, do, and, do and, and, again, and again, uh, Paul's ready to discuss that for two to three weeks. If, if, uh, if he needs it, you know, if anybody brings it up. So, so, so remember Paul at truthfactor.com. So. Brian, so far you're in the clear. Um, <clears throat> Paul, why don't you say we both let him send everything to him? <laughs> oh, I, uh, I think our listeners are very uh, intelligent people, and we could carry on an intelligent conversation yeah. Oh, yeah. if they would really like yeah. to do that. I was joking about uh, not wanting to receive your, uh, your your questions. I'd be happy to happy to do that if, if that were the case, but please understand just a little bit of levity there uh, yeah. yeah all of us yes um one last thing um brian it doesn't seem that they listen very well why do you sleep rise and pray lest you enter into temptation um he knew what was coming and they still weren't fully prepared were they well you know and and while uh to be careful they're not living up to what he wants i mean it is the middle of the night uh yeah. they're they're still not exactly sure that Jesus has, I mean, this has been an unusual night. We talked about it last class that usually you celebrate the Passover with your family and Jesus has, has sequestered them to this. Uh, my, my opinion is this might've even been a bit of an unusual, well, I mean, not my opinion. We can see this is an unusual Passover in how it's observed. I mean, Jesus has said a lot of strange things at the table. Uh, they've had a lot of straight, they've observed a lot of strange things while Jesus was there. Now, here they are out in the middle garden, maybe one, two, three in the morning. Um, and, and just the, maybe it's just been even emotional for them and they're not even, they don't even know what's coming. So I'm a little sympathetic to the idea that they just can't stay awake. Um, that, that really can, that makes a little bit of sense to me. Yeah. And starting at nine o'clock in the evening, I start having that problems. Yeah. Well, you know, you, uh, uh, you listen to, you know, a couple of lessons at 5 PM and you know, you're out. So that's right. All right, let me uh, bring in a couple of comments from the chat room, and then we'll have to pull the study to um, a close for the day. Um, and, and talking about the discussion regarding the sweat being as great drops of blood, um, Stephen James says, when you see a photo of someone sweating blood, it, it would kind of make more sense uh, to kind of, you know, if you'll make the connection between 
that, that um, rare event and what Jesus was doing. I mean, it's very, very likely it could be either case, yeah. And then and Stephen goes on to say that the impending savage, savagery of the circumstances to come would be great, but knowing exactly what it would be like is another story that must have added to his profound grief. And Stephen, that's a very, that's a good point. Um, we, we may be facing something that we dread, and we may know some of the details of it, but there's the unknown aspect of it that still keeps it from fully weighing upon us. But if we were like Jesus, and Jesus knew everything that was about to happen, that would definitely add to that. That's a very good point. All right, gentlemen, let's plan to, in two weeks, continue our study. We're going to pick up with Luke chapter 22, verse 47. I say two weeks because next week is the week that we all prepare our Thanksgiving feasts. And families will come to town and we'll laugh and we'll play and we'll eat too much and then we'll go spend some money Thursday night or maybe Friday, who knows. Um, So anyway, we'll be busy next week. You will be too. And we'll resume here again in two weeks. And that looks like that's going to be... Was that 28th, Paul? Yes, it is. Uh, 28th will be our next study, Lord willing. Okay. All righty. All right. And if all goes well, we'll, we'll try to finish the chapter then. Um, we, we, we were talking about, we've only got two more chapters left after this one. And so we're going to try our best, I think, to get it done before the middle of December, maybe by, by the third Wednesday of December, hopefully. And then that way we're going to take a, a time off after that. And then we'll have to decide what we want to go to go through next. I think we talked about Acts, Paul. Yeah, uh, I believe that's right. I believe we talked about going straight from uh, Luke's um, account of the life of Christ to Luke's account uh, of the beginning of the church and the preaching of the gospel throughout the whole world. I think that would work. Yeah, I think that would be a good idea. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. If you're watching this video at a later time, and maybe we we have said something that you don't fully agree with, or you have an additional thought, don't hesitate to email us. You can send them to questions at truthfactor.com, and we'll definitely um, consider your questions and try to bring them into our next study. All right, gentlemen, let's go ahead and pull today's study to a close. We'd like to thank everybody for joining us for the study of Luke chapter 22. Uh, Tom began the study uh, two weeks ago, and we still have not finished it today. So, Tom, will you want to take over next week or in two sure. weeks? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll wrap it up. All right. In two weeks, we'll come back. Two weeks, Tom will wrap yeah, it up. Yeah, and, 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 and if I may real quickly, uh, the reason behind that, thank you, John, for, for doing this. I, I had some issues while I was gone that prevented me from being able to uh, do some of the prep I wanted to do. So, well, we, you've been through a good bit, but we we understand completely, Tom. All right, so that's going to be in two weeks on uh, November twenty eighth at eleven o'clock a.m. Central Time, and that's noon in the Eastern Time Zone, like I am here in Indiana. Nine a.m. on the Pacific Coast, ten a.m. Mountain Time. It's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful two weeks.